podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and I am here today with two of my pastoral residents, Kevin hey, and Alex. What's going on, guys? And we are going to discuss both and thinking in an either-or culture. Both and thinking in an either-or culture. And if you don't know, this podcast is really just meant to help you follow Jesus in the normal rhythms of everyday life. And over this past year, it has become evident that our culture wants us to think in either-or ways. Very specifically, um, political ways that are divided between mainly right and the left. And so when nearly any topic is up for discussion... There, basically, you have to choose sides. You have to choose right or left. You have to choose either or. And sometimes, specifically for the Christian, we should be coming to these topics, whatever they may be, not first from our political viewpoints, but rather from the biblical worldview and from the Bible itself, which is going to have major overlap between both the right and the left at times. There are going to be pieces. So when Jesus describes his kingdom, when Jesus, when we're looking at pieces in the scriptures, there are pieces that seem very liberal. There are pieces that seem very, very conservative, right? Hmm. And so when we're interacting in our culture, <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's actually, we're, we're in a space that's kind of both and, mm. or yeah, but, <laughs> you know, like, like I believe that, but I have to qualify it with this, right? Or, or so, and, but the problem is we've be, become so politicized that we've been discipled primarily first and foremost by our distinctive political views, by the groups we listen to on Facebook, by the groups we listen to in the news, et cetera, et cetera. And so, we are bringing our political presuppositions into the church rather than letting the Bible or the gospel redefine our presuppositions, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's created a lot of problems. A lot of problems in the church, um, the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, even in our, in our church, that um, people are falling into these either-or camps, <clears throat> And I came across this post by, it was, it was a Facebook post by Abigail M. Dodds, if you want to find her. Um, I think she goes to Bethlehem Baptist Church in um, um, Minneapolis. It's John Piper's church, or was John Piper's church, excuse me. He's been retired for a while. And uh, I think she's a blog post writer. I think she writes for maybe Desiring God sometimes. Uh, you can find her, like her, um, all of her information on her Facebook. But she she writes this um, really compelling post that resonated with me, and I thought it would be good to discuss it here on the podcast. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, let's read it. Alex, why don't you read that first little chunk for us? Might not have the right one here. I want to make sure. It's possible to believe that voter fraud really happened. And the results of the election 
were likely legitimate, or at least that claiming to know otherwise is unprovable. Okay, you see already she's resisting an either-or dichotomy, Mm. right? She says, it's possible to believe that voter fraud really happened and the results of the election were likely legitimate or at least claiming to know otherwise is unprovable. So where, where the culture is telling us to get into some kind of either-or mindset, either the, the thing was completely rigged and there's all kind of you know unprovable allegations by, by President Trump and by people on the right and by conspiracy theories about you know voting machines and software and all of this stuff that's absolutely unprovable. And she's, she's like, and, and she's resisting, like, oh, everything was just completely fine, 100% mm-hmm. legitimate. She's not, she's not, she's, she's saying, no, there's, there's, other, there's something else other than either or. There's a both and. It's possible to leave voter fraud really happened. That means, vote, here's the deal. We know this. Voter fraud happens in every single election. Somebody tries to vote once or twice, blah, blah, blah. But it's usually in a small enough scale where it doesn't really affect the election. So why is it, why is it blowing up, you think, now compared to any other year? I actually don't think it is, honestly. I think four years ago, it was the same thing from the left. Hillary Clinton refusing to admit that she lost the election. I think this is, I think it's been been like this for, for a really long time. I think it is a little more heated this year because the political parties are getting farther and farther apart. They're getting hardened and shutting off communication with one another and literally the liberals want to silence all the conservatives and the conservatives would probably like to silence all the liberals, you know? Plus we got COVID and then, you know, everyone's, a lot of people have been locked down. So everyone's been watching the news trying to figure out. And social media, social media is exasperating this for sure. Um, Our market economy, I think is exasperating this because we want um, our specific news the way we want it. And so that makes it really, narrow a really narrow point of view mm-hmm. we want our we, we don't want to be challenged with our news we want our our news to confirm what we already believe basically mm-hmm. about the world yeah. so we've got more and more um politically distinct news channels mm-hmm. that are pumping two different complete narratives right okay so she's she's just showing you there's this both and uh middle middle ground now she's going to go on it's possible to believe that the widespread stealing Burning, violent rioting all summer was damnable, and that the violent storming of the Capitol was likewise damnable. It's possible to believe there was innocent protesters caught in both. Mm. That's that's touchy right there. That's a touchy topic. Now, what news site is saying that? Who who's actually saying that? It's almost like this summer. All of the liberal media were saying were calling the Black Lives Matter protests mostly peaceful protests, even though they were burning buildings down, rioting, and doing all kind of violence. They're mostly peace- peaceful, and we joked back then. That's like saying a serial killer is mostly a nice guy, right? I mean, ninety five percent of his life he's a nice guy. The other five percent, though, you know, he's got heads in his freezer, right? That still makes him a serial killer, and so. You can condemn, so everyone should have been condemning the riots, not the peaceful protests. We're not saying, so some people said on the right, all Black Lives Matter protests, all those people are criminals, all those people are damnable, all those. They couldn't separate 
the, the peaceful protesters from the rioters, mm-hmm. right? And then on the left, they're saying they're all peaceful, and they, and they couldn't actually acknowledge the violence. What do, you, what do you say to the people that, like, you know, they feel like they haven't been heard? There's so much going on, and it it keeps on happening over and over and over. And for maybe someone that's burning something down because it doesn't belong to them, they don't own it. You know, a lot of those areas, people aren't owning um, property. Um, so what does it look like for the people that, are, you know, are, are just frustrated and just had enough? Yeah, well, I, I doubt they're listening to this podcast. But if, if they were, I would tell them, yeah, man, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks. But there's... But burning stuff down is not the answer. Right. And a lot of the things that they're burning down are minority buildings, minority-owned buildings, minority-owned shops. And so it's counterproductive. It's, it's anarchist. Um, yeah, you're frustrated, but you know what? You, you don't sin out of your frustration, right? right? You, you burn the world down and destroy families and make it worse. You literally are making the problem worse for yourself, for even the police that are policing your neighborhoods, making their job more difficult, you know, it's going to create more animosity there. So rioting, it, it, rioting is is not the answer, right? M- marching in the street, yeah, sure. Um, making your voice heard politically, yeah, all that. That's that's great. Now, same thing on the other side, right? The same thing on the other side with the rioters. With so I know there were people that are that are in our city and that are close to some missional community leaders, and they're, they've been and and been to our church. They were at the. Capitol Hill protests. They were there. And they're saying the same thing. Well, it was mostly peaceful. It was mostly peaceful. Yeah. And it's just funny to me that you don't see your own hypocrisy of what you were saying about the Black Lives Matter. And now the same thing happened in your party. And you can't, you're going to try to blame it on Antifa. You're going to try to blame, that's what they did. They turned it right away and they tried to blame it on Antifa. It's just, you know. Wasn't the goal though to, they said to, um, there was, a lot of people were saying that the goal was just to go and take back the election. Wasn't was well, that yeah. I mean, there was a so there was yeah. There was a lot of lies that were propagated by President Trump uh, that that Mike Pence could actually overturn the election, and there was a lot of conspiracy theories out there, and a lot of people believe it in this Q, QAnon thing. That's complete ridiculous um, conspiracy theory that every Christian should absolutely reject, and and then Trump's um, vitriolic communication style that he literally doesn't know how to do anything but throw gasoline on fires. Mm. Um, it, and he's been doing it for f- four years of his presidency, all the way back from Charlottesville to, to, to this. He, ref- he cannot tone an argument down. He only brings it up. Um, and so that whipped people up into a fur. Now, I'm not saying he's responsible for it. I don't think he's going to be, I mean, he's impeached, but I don't think they're going to convict him. They're, everyone's in, responsible for their own behavior, but it was irresponsible for him, for sure. It was stupid. It was disrespectful. It was ignorant. It was unbecoming of a U.S. president. And so they go storm the Capitol, and they they're, they're, they think they're going to, ha- they've got some kind of, you know, disorganized insurrection that they're going to stop the, the counting of the votes. They're, they're going to hang Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are horrible that happened, and we should be able to condemn them both. Christians should, should be able to condemn them both right right and, and not fall into an either or category yeah. if, all right now um let's go on can you read the can you read the can you yep. read the third yep it's possible to believe that covid is real and especially dangerous for some and also that the panic the media incited is unhelpful at best and harmful to millions at worst it's possible to submit to the government and hold that they are using improper authority 
Okay, again, she's just... Now, to me, this is just like a voice of reason and a voice of sanity. And it just feels very like Proverbs-esque that we're walking down the road and and we're refusing to let a political ideology trump our wisdom. That she just says, guys, both and here. Yeah. COVID is especially dangerous to some. And also that the panic the media incited is unhelpful at best and harmful to millions at worst. Mm-hmm. It's possible to submit to the government and hold their using improper authority. So we can do both. Um, some people want to say that the only time you submit to governing authority is if you agree with them. <laughs> that is not a biblical position. The Apostle Paul taught to submit to governing authorities, and he was talking about Rome, one of the most corrupt, oppressive, ungodly regimes, or kingdoms, whatever you want to call it, that have ever existed, that were persecuting Christians. And he t- said to submit to them. So, yeah, again, she's, I think she's just hitting the nail on the head and resisting either or thinking. And she's right, right down the middle. Um, you want to read the next one, Alex? It, it's possible to believe that merging of Christian symbol with the storming of the Capitol and the culture of conspiracies is wicked. Culty and culty conspiracies. While also believing that Critical theory is a clear dangerous to the authority of the scriptures and the purity of the church. Okay. So she's here talking about <clears throat> something the left is pushing and something the right is pushing. It's possible to believe that the merging of Christian symbols with the storming of the capital and culty conspiracies is wicked. <clears throat> I don't know why Christians are so gullible Mm. for conspiracy theories. Maybe it's because of the book of Revelation and we've got some weird stuff in our book too and there's some, oh, who's going to be the Antichrist and what's the mark of the beast and we're all headed towards this thing and we've watched too many Left Behind movies. (laughs) But the QAnon conspiracy theory is ridiculous and needs to be squashed. Um, flat earth, weird stuff. There's all kind of, you know, is our, is our government corrupt? Absolutely. I mean, when they get everyone, when they get the government, when they get up in the government, they, they, they get corrupted, right? It just, it happens. Um, but is there this, you know, it, the conspiracy theories are just a little bit ridiculous and the merging of like Jesus saves, but Trump is my president or something like that. Those flags, that are storming the Capitol, thinking that they're like taking back this country for God or something, um, is ignorant. And they, I don't think they understand. I don't even think like if they got what they wanted, what would they do with the power that they got? What laws are you talking about? It's, um, it's dangerous. Okay. Now listen, but also, while also believing that critical theory is a clear danger to the authority of the scriptures and the purity of the church. Now, if you don't know what critical theory is, there's a lot that goes into it. There's critical race theory. There's critical gender theory. Critical theory is basically a form of cultural Marxism that believes 
they look at the world and they look at history through the, 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 they only have two lenses, the oppressed and the oppressor. That's it. All the way back in the history of time, you only have two categories of people, the oppressed and the oppressor. Mm. And that is the lens that they interpret everything through. Okay? So if you are a victim, you are a member of the oppressed. If you feel like a victim, you are a member of the oppressed. If you are, well, I'll just say if right now, if you are a white heterosexual male, you are one of the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And you are guilty before you've even done anything, just, be, just by your identity of who you are. Now it goes through, it's, they're pushing, the left is pushing critical theory through everything where now we're getting rid of gender pronouns at the, in the cat or at, at uh, um, the house of representative, they banned all use of gender pronouns. <clears throat> and then the, the, the so- so-called pastor or Bishop or whatever he was prayed and said, amen mm. and a women. That's mm. how he ended his prayer after praying to Brahman and a bunch of other stuff. Critical theory is a lie and it should be rejected. Now, does it mean everything critical theory teaches is a lie? No, absolutely doesn't. Are there oppressed people in the world? Yes. Are there oppressors? Yes. The Bible speaks to both the oppressed and the oppressor, and also the huge group of population in the middle of those two that are neither oppressed or oppressor. They're just living life, right? They're just living life. And, um, and so we must reject, we must reject critical theory because critical theory, again, it's bringing something to the Bible that's, that comes before the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that is the idea of the oppressed and oppressors are always going to be in society. Mm -hmm. And that's the number, the two ways to look at the Bible or the two ways to look at all history through the oppressed and through the oppressor. They're bring, that's a presupposition they didn't get from scripture that they bring to the Bible to interpret it. So this critical theory, are they just getting this from a book or is it more social media or where are people getting these ideas and stuff? From? So critical theory has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a form of cultural Marxism coming out of the Frankfurt school and things like this, but it's found its way through a- academia. It's being taught in colleges. It's been taught mm-hmm. on college campuses. You don't even realize it, <clears throat> but it's been, it's being portrayed in almost all of our movies being portrayed in almost all of our art. It's being portrayed in um, a lot of books these days, mm-hmm. even in our marketing, even mm-hmm. in our marketing. So everyone wants, so here's the deal. We all want to, in our culture these days, we all want to be unique. Yeah. Well, who has real value? Who has real uniqueness? Well, now it's transgender. The transgender person is the most unique person on the planet these days. And so you've got marketing departments, marketing to, to transgenders. You've got um, uh, HR departments trying as fast as they can to hire transgender people. You've got all of this. Um, and you've got people and kids even in the, caught in the middle who want, oh, what's it, what does it mean to be unique? What does it mean to be special? Oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that. Hmm. And that there is somehow value in being oppressed or a victim and that you can 
use that value to gain prominence in the culture Mm. on social media. So you watch an Apple, you watch like, I think it was Apple or Instagram. No, an Instagram, Instagram commercials, watch an Instagram commercial. There won't be one white dude. There won't be one normal white dude on that thing, on that Instagram. Okay. Mm. There'll be a black trans queer woman or man with lips painted and he's doing some funky dance. And it's all about being weird, being different, being unique that there's somehow value in breaking out of stereotypes and just being some kind of, you know, queer. That's, mm. that's basically what it is. That's basically what it is. Um, you've got this, who was it? Is it, uh, a basketball star? I can't remember his name right now, but young daughter transitions to be a man. They're not going to assign the gender. Do you know who it is? Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. I was going to say it, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. So I didn't want to say it. Yeah. And it's just being cool with it. Just being cool with it. Your kid, your kid hasn't even been through puberty yet. It's hurtful. So there's this critical race theory. It goes through, um, it goes through a lot of our society, right? Um, and it all, it, it teaches a lot of, um, a lot of false things, false, false narratives that, that need to be rejected. Um, I'm going to go up one because I think we, we missed there. It's possible to believe that ethnic partiality is sin to be repented of while also believing that the cultural narrative of pervasive mistreatment of anyone who isn't white is a lie used for political social capital. It's possible to be, be guilty of some things and not all things. So let me read that again. It's possible to believe that ethnic partiality is sin to be repented of. Okay? Well, I, I don't think we, we, we should have a, not have a problem with that, right? Racism is wrong. We, it's a sin that we mm-hmm. need to repent of. Um, yeah, I think it's, we can, we can agree with that. But listen, while also believing that the cultural narrative of pervasive mistreatment of anyone who isn't white is a lie used for political, social capital. Okay, so she's saying there are some that are teaching that our society is utterly racist, systemically racist in such a way that everything is set against everyone who isn't white. And so if any person of color experiences mistreatment, it's immediately because of racism, okay? Now, there, there are some historical examples of structural or systemic racism, right? We've done a lot in the past, whatever it's been, 60 years, to overturn a lot of those Jim Crow and um, redlining and, and different racist policies. But she says that there is a narrative out there, again, this cultural Marxism or um, critical theory that teaches anyone who's different, black, Asian, whatever, specifically black and then, or trans or gay, that if they experience any mistreatment, they should interpret that as racism against them. Okay. 
so that I, if let's let's say that a let's say white guy and a white guy and a black guy go in to get their house house appraised, right? They both get their house appraised. They both come back twenty thousand below what they thought was market value. Mm-hmm. Okay, the white guy goes, "Crap, that appraiser sucked." I'm going to get a different opinion. I completely disagree with that. I think she was garbage. She didn't know her, how to do her job. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But there is critical theory, and our the cultural narrative tells the African-American, he should say, I bet she was racist. I bet that I bet that assessor was racist. Now, that is that could be true. She could have been racist. There have been racist appraisers in the past. And so, and there, and blacks have been taken advantage of in that way by banks and such. And so, historically, that is an, that is understandable. But if he posts that on Facebook without any proof, without any evidence, that's actually doing more damage than good because one, it's slandering a person. And what is she going to do? She has no way to disprove that she's a racist, right? Mm. And so, in the book Beyond Racial Gridlock. Um, I forgot who the author of that book is, though. African-American guy from, like, University of Texas, maybe? I can't remember. Um, he talks about that uh, as the white majority population, they need to be, they need to at least listen and hear and examine and be open for the possibility of systemic racism still still existing and still be affecting. Mm-hmm. But African-Americans, on the other hand, need to be really careful before, and I don't want to, you, this is how people would say it, don't play the race card, right? Mm-hmm. Don't play the race card. That's what they're going to, that's how they say it in our culture. But what there's, what, what he's saying is, if we say racism, when it was actually not racism, it was just a person doing a crappy job or a person that was frustrated and tired and lazy and whatever, then we're actually hurting racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? Because that, if that white person who gave you that assess, assessment if race had nothing to do with it, she just didn't like your property or whatever. She was in a bad mood that day and was giving everybody, you know, uh, poor. And you said it was you said it was racist. That's going to create a huge division and mistrust between both parties. So we should be slow to say that happened because I was black, right? Or that happened because I was this or or whatever. We. If unless that person did something that's clearly racist, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then you know, then it's it's obviously um, the sin of ethnic partiality that needs to be repented of. Okay? I just like I just feel like even in that there's like there's so much trauma in the black culture that um, that there's so many things that happen to black people throughout um, someone growing up in their background. Um, for that person even to say that to them is it could be very hurtful to them, I guess I would say. Say what? Um, if they would say, um, uh, say the example with the, um, with the house, if that, if that example, you're like, ah, you know, that person wasn't being racist. I thought they were being racist to me. Okay. That's good. That's good. But your feelings aren't truth. Your feelings are not facts. Your feelings could be wrong. Right. Right. I mean, it, it just depends on the situation of what happened, you know, but... Yeah, if, no, no, well, yeah, if if there is... Okay, so the scenario I set up, the only situation is 
we've both received bad appraisals, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you're walking through the house with him and he and you're getting a weird vibe from him or from her or whatever, you're getting a weird vibe and she, she's looking at you up and down weird and or something along those lines, you know, then then yeah, there there might you're picking up more clues. But if it's just a feeling in your heart, right? Your heart is desperately wicked. Yeah. Your heart and here's the deal. It works both ways, okay? If I think, if I've been taught that all policemen are racist, if I've been taught that, guess what I'm going to look for when I'm interacting with police officers? I'm going to look for racism. I'm going to see it because I've been taught and trained to see it. Now, are there racist police officers? Absolutely, there are. But the, the narratives we bring into the situation can actually shape the way that we experience the situation. And just because you're African-American and you feel like that person was racist does not mean that they are unless there's evidence to prove. Your feelings are not enough. Again, just like a, uh, let's just say you got P- PTSD from Afghanistan. You come home, right? <clears throat> and someone starts shooting off fireworks outside your window. And you have a physiological response because you feel like you're in the war, right? Mm-hmm. Are you in the war? No, no, you're not. Your feelings think that you are, but you're not. So there has to be some ownership on, on, that, on that side of things that, and some, some checking of my emotions. I feel like this, but that I may be wrong. And if I assume that I'm right, there could be no reconciliation because if I assume that I'm right, the only thing the other person can do is repent to me. Yeah. Well, I'm never going to repent for something I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. Like, and I can genuinely know if I'm being racist or not yeah. towards you, right? And so if you're 100% certain I'm a racist and I'm 100% certain I'm not in this situation, there is no chance for reconciliation, yeah. Right? And that's what Yancey, that's what his name is, Yancey gets, out, gets, gets his point across in Beyond Racial Gridlock. Because if, if one person is 100% certain it was race and another person is 100% certain it's not, there, there is no reconciliation between those two parties. So if both, if both sides, this is, that, that's how they feel, like what does, what does that look like? Is it always going to be a headbutt? It's a both and. It's, that's what we're, it's the ability to see from a, things from a different perspective and not believe my perspective is the only perspective that's right. Mm. There's no, there's other perspectives out there. And I, it doesn't mean my perspective is wrong necessarily either, but I have to have, we call that epistemic humility mm. to say, I don't know what's in that guy's heart. Now, if this guy comes in and he says the N word and he throws you, that's not, yeah, he's a racist. Right. Boom. No, right. If he's got a swastika tattoo on his neck and he comes, okay. Yeah. But if I just feel mistreated, that's not a sign of racism. And if a white guy gets mistreated by the police officer, what does that mean? Right? And we know people in power misuse their power all the time. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's racist. Okay? But it doesn't, you rule it out either. <laughs> it, doesn't, right, right. it doesn't rule it out either. Okay. So, so she again. She's saying this both, this both and perspectives. <clears throat> Kevin, you want to read the next paragraph? Yeah. 
and it's possible to believe that some threats are bigger than others while not equivocating. Weighing and distinguishing between these problems is called wisdom, and it's possible, because of Christ, to be discerning while also being humble. It's possible, because of Christ, to live and act with grace and with truth. It's possible that the biggest threat to your spiritual life is the one you, in the honest assessment of your heart, have the most sympathy for. If you've resonated with this, it's possible you're feeling like an outsider in this world. Okay, stop. So, first off, she's not talking about equivocating, which means just, oh yeah, they're both right, no big deal, walk down the middle. You know, she's like, no, we're, we're called to be discerning. Mm-hmm. We're called to go, yep, that was wrong, but so is... So we, we can say... Um, George Floyd's death was absolutely 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. And then we can also say the riots are wrong. Mm -hmm. Protests, right? Good, yes. So we we can hold those two things and and that's not a right or, like, that's not a right or left position, right? We're holding this, we're weighing and distinguishing between these problems, that's called wisdom. The problem is when we're listening to our news, we're not just getting information, we're getting interpretation. Mm-hmm. We're getting narrative with it. We're not just getting the facts, we're getting the facts filtered through a certain narrative, right? <clears throat> and so, uh, like, 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 you know, you watch CNN or anything like that, they never show that they're still rioting in Portland. <laughs> they're still burning stuff down in Portland. They mm-hmm. still have, like, basically an autonomous zone or whatever, and they're just being complete crazy people, mm-hmm. you know? While the BLM movement right now is getting uh, put up for the, the Nobel Peace Prize. And it's like, I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. Mm-hmm. But then on the, on the right-hand side, that's all basically, you know, that's what the right wants to talk about is what, everything that's going on in Portland and everything that Joe Biden's doing that's crazy and all the stuff that Kamala Harris is doing. And they're not wanting to root out the crazies in their own party. Right and and actually give a, a unbiased um, news. They're not just given the facts; they filter them through a certain worldview. They got to hype it up, man. It's, yeah, it, it seems like every news channel you're on, if, if they don't hype it up, is you know you just keep on flicking the channel. Yeah, and and, the and they're they're making money. That's what they're trying to do: scaring people, get you to watch, you know, and giving you what what you want, get you coming back for more. It's possible because of Christ to live and act with grace and with truth. <clears throat> it's possible that the biggest threat to your spiritual life is the one you, in the honest assessment of your heart, have the most sympathy for. Hmm. What do you think she means by that? It's possible that the biggest threat to your spiritual life is the one you have the most sympathy for. Because that's the way you lean that's an interesting. St- so, <clears throat> who do we have when we're listening to the news? Who do we have the most sympathy for? Do we have the most sympathy for the minorities that are being mistreated by police? Do we have the most sympathy for the police officers who are putting their li- their lives on the line every day? That is a. I missed that statement the first time I read it. That's a powerful statement. Because yeah. doesn't that define us? Because Black lives, you know, if you have friends and family who are African-Americans, they've experienced racism, you, you, you feel free to post Black Lives Matter, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and, and support them. And then some, somebody does something dumb and shoots a police officer, and now what? 
and now who do you have the most sympathy for? Is it your African-American brother or is it the police officers? Mm. And now it's, it's like you have to choose. Yeah. I can't have BLM and, you know, blue or Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter mm. unless you're going to start posting All Lives Matter, right? Which, so that's, that's an interesting statement. Who do I have the most sympathy for? And where are my sympathy? So if I, if I lean towards the police officers, that's the biggest threat to my spiritual life is I would overlook the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. because I, I over-prioritize the Blue Lives Matter. Right. Or if I have the most sympathy for the black community, then I'm going to over-sympathize with them and under-sympathize with the police officers who are going in and having to put down these riots. Yeah. Right? So that is a powerful statement for me. And that says, listen, if you, when you read through this list, if you think we're ridiculous, if you think, oh no, Justin, it's either or. What you said, both and, there is no both and, it's either or. <laughs> then you, I think, are, are confused. I don't think you have an accurate view of the other side of the argument. Mm. Um, and I would challenge you, send me an email and let me, and let me know. Um, we've done a lot of podcasts this, um, this year on some of the, um, Black Lives Matter stuff. You could go back and listen to those. We've got books that you can read, et cetera, et cetera. But, or or uh, on the other side of things, you don't understand the critical race theory, the critical theory. Um, send me a message. But what you need to see is if you think it's really clear, right is right or left is right, then you're not walking the biblical tightrope. You're not. And that may be because you just don't see the other perspective. And so I think as a Christian, we need to we need to be aware of the other perspective and get inside it and understand it well enough to critique it so we can see, oh, okay, I can see a couple things that they're right on that they're that they were that they were saying that I was missing, and yet not embrace it wholeheartedly. So you so you're saying right now that the Christian should embrace both. Pieces of both. Okay, so I just want to make sure you're clear. Like you're saying, uh, pieces in the Black Lives Matter as is you support, you know, a black life in the image of Christ yes. matters. <clears throat> yes. And then uh, a person that's a police officer, if they're black, white, they, they, their lives matter as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And we can do both. Mm-hmm. We can support our police officers and support our minority community, right? And that's the good piece about being a community because uh, there's so many people that lean towards one side or the other and the community, uh, a gospel-centered community that I'm talking about, kind of helps you um, break that down and see where you're blinded, you know, because a lot of people are blinded in certain areas because of the way they grew up or, you know, areas that um, they went to school and different things like that. Yeah. I just think that we need to think about that. If we... If we we listen to that list and and we think the right position the conservative position was right on all of those things I just talked about, then the greatest threat to your spiritual life is your basically idolatry of, of the right. Mm-hmm. That's your, that's your greatest threat. So the greatest threat in your life is not the left. That's trying to take everything from you. The greatest threat is on the right. And if you listen to that thing and you went the list and you went through, no, the left, the left position was right on every single one of those. Well, then your, your greatest threat to your spiritual life is found on the left there not on the right. Now, you think the right's your problem. Donald Trump and all these things. No, no, no. Your problem is actually found on the left. And you have got to, you have got to pull yourself away from your party in, a, in, a, in such a way that you have, you've got some differentiation 
between you and your party and you can see other perspectives and you're, you've, you've got a both end mentality. Now we're not saying everything's right on both sides, right? Or one side or the other, but Oh, I can see your point. Okay. I can understand your point. I I can critique it now as well. Can you give a, can you give us a quick understanding of what the left and the right is? So people that are listening, so they're not confused. Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) the left and the right are just political ideologies right now. Uh, basically two ideas, conservatism and progressivism. That's basic what it is. Conservatism, they want to conserve some things. They want to return back to some things. Think of conservative moral values. Think of conservative institutions like the church and the school and the government actually is a is an institution. They want to conserve some things, right? Um, while still moving towards a better society, okay? Liberals want to be liberated in a sense. They want to be set free from from different things. They're more progressive agenda. They like, so conservatives typically like a smaller government. Liberals typically like a bigger government. They want sexual freedom for for everyone, right? They want, uh, you know, on, on the left, there's just a lot of different, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces there, but there's a lot of cultural Marxism on the left. There's a lot of um, maximizing freedom in the sense of sexual freedom, okay? Um, And so the, basically you've got like the Republican Party that's, that's kind of on the right. You've got a libertarian party that's pretty much kind of on the right. They're, they're conservative in some things and, and more libertarian in others. And then you've you've got the left wing of the left the liberals that are more on the progressive side of things, okay. Um, and so they're not they're the progressives want to kind of get rid of history. I mean that's why they're tearing down statues. That's why they want to just completely rechange the the, the government. And they want they they're move they're trying to move into more of a socialist type type of government. So and while the um, and so they kind of. They're kind of anti-history. They, they, they want to get rid of history. They don't see any value in the history, in the past. The only value is in the future. In the future, everything's going to be better. Mm. We're going to make it better in the future. We're going to make it better. And so they're kind of willing to burn down institutions in order to, to remake the world. Okay? <clears throat> so that's really rough. On the seat of my pants, uh, what the left and the right are. Okay? So if you, she says this, if you've resonated with this, it's possible you're feeling like an outsider in this world. <clears throat> but I also re- want to remind you that you're likely not standing as alone as you might think. Despite the sickly tribes, I believe there are a lot of Christian folks who are thinking similarly. Don't succumb to the false dichotomies. Keep hold all truth as best you can in the light of the word. Change your mind when you ought. Don't indulge showy repentance or own things that before God aren't yours. Act in good faith and march on. <clears throat> so, what do you guys think? Do you resonate with this? Can we be both and thinkers in an either-or culture? I hope we can. If I can um, help move your thought towards any one of those perspectives, I can help you out, please send me an email, Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. We are here just to be helpful to you. We hope this um, sparks some good thinking. So, we love you guys. God bless. God bless.